Good morning, guys. 11 a.m. I like you guys. You look rested. This is my favorite. <laughs> um, well, if, you, if we haven't met yet, my name's Aaliyah, and I'm the pastor of Community Formation here, and I am excited for today. This is, um, we're finishing up 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're getting to the end of 1 Corinthians series as a whole. We've been here for quite a while, um, and we have quite a few verses to tackle today. So I always say this, but every time um, it feels so important to say, if you haven't heard the last couple weeks, we've been talking about resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, and now today we get to talk about our resurrected bodies. Um, and I would say, if you haven't heard the teaching, would you go back, take 40 minutes this week and listen to it? Because the Bible is genius. It's, it has this incredible way of building on itself. And so... Um, Today will be great. You'll get a lot out of the text, but it's so much more rich when you have the whole picture. So take the time, go back and do it. Um, but we we are going to be in verses 35 through 58 in um, chapter 15. So if you have an app or if you have a Bible, go ahead and get it out because it's a lot of verses. So it'd be great if you could track along. So in today's text, Paul addresses a lot of questions about what resurrection will mean for us. We need to talk about this because, um, as Evan's been saying these last couple weeks, what we believe about the future will shape everything that we do right now. And uh, in this text, there's this incredible balancing happening that calls us to have an eternal perspective so that we can live now in Christ and immediately take part in the promise from the gospel of John chapter 10 that we can have life to the full that Jesus talked about. And that's meaning that our work here for the kingdom is not in vain. We labor for the Lord. So when, you're, when you think of a resurrected body, your own resurrected body, what do you think of? Um, to be honest, I don't think about it a ton, but when I do, the things that come to mind is um, my back won't hurt anymore and hopefully my first bad choice tattoo goes away. I don't know, like the bar is very low. I think I'm going to be super impressed with whatever it is. Um, I got a text actually after last service and somebody said, you said your back wouldn't hurt. I immediately thought zombies. So I, I don't know. Anyway, so wherever your mind goes, we want to kind of take today and go through these verses and get an accurate look at what Paul is saying is going to be our future. So would you pray with me real quick? Father, we're grateful to be here today. We're grateful for your word. We're so thankful for the truth that you have already resurrected and we get to live in that hope today. Would your Holy Spirit move and speak to us through your text, Lord? We trust you. Amen. So verse 35 of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body will they come? And then Paul says, how foolish. Now for me, I'm kind of pausing for a second and going, wait, why is this foolish? I think these are great questions. I have no idea what this is going to look like in the future. Um, I feel like the more I think about it, the more questions I have and the crazier it seems. So why does Paul say that these questions are foolish? When hearing of bodily resurrection, it pushed against the common thought in Greek philosophy that everyone would become these enlightened floating spirits. So Greek philosophy would say, you're bound up to this physical body, and it's something you need to be freed from. We're looking forward to this time when we're just spirits kind of floating around. Um, but because of this, it seems that some of the Corinthians were thinking, no, decaying corpses don't resurrect. And Paul actually calls them, they're thinking foolish. 
And so instead of viewing the body as this restrictive vessel and believing that the soul needed to be liberated, Paul was saying, no, you're wrong. So instead of thinking flesh is bad, spirit is good, we're going to say, no, this is a whole person resurrection. And if I'm being honest, I think this dualistic thinking has actually at different times been a part of what I feel because it's easy to look around and see the weakness in our bodies and just look forward to a time when it's not a problem anymore. But here, here's, here's what it says in verses 37 through 41. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And so each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor and the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So I get a little bit lost in those verses at first. They kind of go all over the place and it takes me at least a minute to go, okay, what's going on here? But the analogy for bodily resurrection and all new creation is seeds. And you know, I think about this. And do you know anybody who can like grow things? Like they have a beautiful garden, they post it on social media, and then they they like make dinner with it. I just feel kind of like bitter about it because I can't grow anything, like nothing. It's probably a little bit of, um, I feel a little traumatized from being the kid in class who like you do the little seeds in the cup and everybody's things start to grow and I'm like, Oh yeah, cool. (laughs) Mine's not growing at all. And it stayed that way into adulthood. But um, I have kept two kids alive. So, you know, I think that's good. Gold star. But even I know that when seeds go into the ground with the very little knowledge that I have of how to grow things, when seeds go into the ground, they decompose. And um, this looks like death. But in the decomposition, something crazy happens. We know that the seeds take new forms and they turn into incredible things like flowers, harvests, even giant oak trees. And we start to get an idea of what Paul's getting at. It's almost not an analogy, but it's just a good example of what happens to us. Paul's point is that God made us, so of course he can make us new. And Paul goes on to explain that God has given each thing that he created the container that it's supposed to have, each with a purpose. Fish have ideal bodies for swimming and birds for flying and the sun even has a celestial body that serves its purpose in the solar system. And Paul is saying our resurrected bodies will be ideal for our future environment. It's beyond our understanding, but this is what he's getting at. God knows exactly what body you need, so you must trust him that you'll have a perfect resurrected body for the future. Through science and discovery, we kind of get a little bit of an idea. We don't want to even be contained to the bodies we have. We've figured out how to put people on the moon or go super deep into the ocean with special suits. Obviously, I don't know a whole lot about, but we do it. (laughs) And so we're going to be doing things that we can't really wrap our minds around. So we'll need a new body. And we don't know exactly what the new heavens and the new earth will be like, but we know that our bodies are gonna be massively upgraded in order to do new things and have, in Paul's words, 
a new kind of splendor. Our resurrected bodies will be perfect for resurrected life, and they'll be fitted for eternity. Unlike they are now, we're constrained to a certain amount of years. That's not going to be the case. Because that's what God does. Right now, we're animated by the physical, and one day we will be fully empowered and animated by the Spirit. Back in chapter 13, Paul says that the spiritual gifts like prophecy and tongues and healing, I mean, these things are vital today. We seek the Spirit. We ask for these gifts. This is a good thing. We spent a good amount of time on on seeking the Holy Spirit in chapters before this one. They matter. But he says here that they're going to be obsolete someday. But this isn't sad. This means this is going to be replaced with something we can't even imagine. Like our best view of what we can do here is is nothing compared to what's coming. And so whatever our future splendor will be, it'll be unimaginably good. So verse 42, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor and it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. So Paul's doubling down here on his main point that our current bodies will be buried and our future spirit-driven bodies will come up out of the ground. Jesus went before us in this and this is a really important part. We can have confidence in what's coming because of Jesus. And isn't this the truth in anything? Like Jesus gives us the confidence for everything we do. So of course we can follow him into death. In John chapter 12, Jesus predicts his own death while he's talking to his disciples. And here's what he has to say. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So Jesus is talking about himself. And you can imagine what the disciples felt when Jesus died. That it's over. This is not who we thought he was. This is not the Messiah. Confusion, all of those things. This is what we reflected on during Good Friday. It is, it's finished. Seemed like it's finished. But then, out of the ground, just like a seed, so much more life bursts forth. And when we read the Gospels, it's clear that Jesus was only able to be in one place at one time. Before his resurrection, we see him kind of confined to his physical body. He went out into the desert and he fasted for 40 days. He experienced weakness and hunger. And then after resurrection, something crazy happens. There's not a ton on this, but it does say that sometimes he was recognizable and sometimes he wasn't. We know that Sometimes he seemed to disappear and reappear. This isn't like Harry Potter's invisibility cloak. This is something beyond our own physical bodies. But then we also read that he still preached and he hung out with people and he ate food. So there's this balance here. We're looking forward to being raised in the same kind of body as Jesus. And we keep reading in verse 44. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it's written... The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, and the second man is of heaven. 
as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this is, this is a promise for us. We are born in weakness and we have the promise of being raised again because of Jesus' death and resurrection with the heavenly man. And Paul's continuing to make the point that every follower of Jesus is going to receive a whole body upgrade at the resurrection. So this sounds amazing, but there is an elephant in the room right now. I think it's no surprise that all of us experience death and we experience loss, disease, injustice, all these things that we know are still very present and real. And it's tough to keep hope in the resurrection and our perspective eternal. Paul is challenging us to accept the reality of this fallen world right now, while at the same time putting our full hope in the reality of the resurrection. So I've never actually met someone who hasn't experienced death in one way or another, most of the time in more ways than one. A few years ago, a lot of us followed along a really tragic story. There's this awesome family here in California, they're worship leaders, and uh, they lost their two-year-old little girl. She, just sudden infant death syndrome, um, no real explanation, she's just gone. And this whole community, their church community and them as the parents, they decided to hold worship services every single night and cry out to God. And they said, we're asking you to bring her back to life. And it's hard to watch from afar, from the outside. We're just praying along with them. And every day they would post on social media, today is a great day for resurrection. And it's just heartbreaking to watch this and to pray along with them and just to hope the best for them and trust that God is big and he can do this. And I just remember, on I think it was the seventh day, the mom posted and she just communicated the most beautiful thing. And I just remember like weeping because she said, okay, God didn't bring her back. He didn't. And they accepted it with so much grace. They had so much hope in this future resurrection that we're talking about. They trusted that while this little girl was sown in weakness in her physical body that she had right now, one day whenever that is, she will be raised in power with Jesus. And I remember reading the mom's response and I felt, I felt a small piece of the heartbreak with them. But their faith and their community remained the same and they accepted the reality of this fallen world and they put their hope in the reality we hold on to in Jesus. They put their hope in the future res resurrection that Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 15. And they knew that their baby girl would be wholly redeemed by her Savior and made even more complete than she was on earth. This family believed so strongly in the future that Jesus had promised that they had the faith and the grace to live it out now. While at the same time accepting that this current reality of death and sorrow was the last thing that they wanted. Both of these things are realities. And this is the mysterious intersection that we are all called to live in, holding that space between heaven and earth until Jesus comes back. Jesus has already gone before us and he's already redeemed us. But we're still waiting for the fullness of our resurrection that comes after this life. 
we're holding the seed right now. And we have to keep perspective that there is so much more that's coming. Romans 8 says this, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. Now here it is. This is the redemption of our bodies for in what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Months after um, this little girl was gone, the mom was struggling, having a hard time missing her baby girl. And she was crying out to God and saying, God, where are you in this moment? And he reminded her of a song that she had written before her baby girl died. And it was this kind of question and response. And it was, God, where are you in this? All these different difficult things. And the response was always right in the middle of it. She felt that this was a gift that God had given her, reminding her that this is hard, but I'm right there in the middle of it with you. For now, God doesn't often airlift us out of our problems. I think that's what we're looking for pretty often. But instead, he joins us. He comes down and he walks this difficult road with us always. So verse 50 says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Now when Paul says twinkling of an eye, he doesn't mean left behind rapture. It's just not what this one is talking about. Um, he means resurrection. Why? Because that's what Paul says he means. In the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. In other words, whoever is still alive at the time will be given their new body on the spot. But I do think that there's something beautiful. When we hear the twinkling of an eye, I think it stirs in our soul. It's a good and it's a godly desire to yearn for Jesus to come back. That's a good thing. I think we've been wired that way by God to crave that justice and mercy that's supposed to flow like a river. And we stand with the saints and we cry out, come Lord Jesus, in those moments when it's too much for us to handle. He wants to meet us here right now. God's not done with the earth, so neither are we. And we wait. Jesus, he has already swallowed up death in victory. And we can say now, we can say now what verse 55 says. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death and sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your, your sting? We proclaim this every single Sunday when we take communion together. We're all so painfully aware that we're waiting. But when we take the bread and the cup, we proclaim that we've been brought into Jesus' death and his resurrection. And this points to the day when we'll joyfully hug and feast and be with Jesus forever when all things are made new. 
We live in the truth that we wait for the day where the new heavens and the new earth are a reality and God himself will wipe away every tear. And we get to joyfully be together, redeemed and made new in Jesus. Now here's our job. This is verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And I love this. Hold on to this truth. We have this lifelong pursuit. If you haven't read this book, it's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. And that's kind of just like a tagline for us as followers of Jesus, that we should be heading always just in the right direction, obedient towards our Savior. And here's what he says. The hard work of sowing seed in what looks like perfectly empty earth has, as every farmer knows, a time for harvest. All suffering and all pain and all emptiness and all disappointment is seed. Sow it in God and he will finally bring a crop of joy from it. And that's exactly what Paul is saying in the last line of this chapter. All this work in the Lord now, our long obedience in the same direction, is the work that will last in resurrection forever. This is for eternity. We're building towards God's kingdom. And this is the hope of humanity. This moment of Jesus' return while doing everything we can to point towards what's coming We serve our city and we cry out in prayer on Tuesday nights to stand in that middle intersection between heaven and earth. We take time out of our summer to be with foster kids for Royal Family Kids Camp. I think a beautiful example of resurrection is that a lot of people who run Royal Family Kids Camp um, were foster kids themselves who went to camp. And this is beautiful. This is that thing that is just building towards the kingdom and you see redemption We do justice. We work with people experiencing homelessness. We work, I mean, all these things, serving on Sunday morning, all these things are building towards God's kingdom. And we continue pursuing a life, giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because what we do now has the promise of building God's kingdom. In a few minutes, we're going to come forward and we're going to take communion together. But I just wanted to share something kind of personal. Um... We're talking about hope and faith and all these things that are promised from resurrection. And somebody asked me yesterday, they said, um, what's a story of hope in your life? Like, what are these, what's a good example of these verses? And I immediately thought of seriously so many times that Jesus has done so much and he has given me so much grace. One of my life verses that came from a pretty difficult season as a kid was in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and, and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs any of our trials. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Don't lose heart. What is unseen is eternal and it's coming. And what's seen right now is building towards it. But as I thought about a story right now of hope in my life, I realized something. I actually woke up at 3.30 this morning, which is a really creepy time. I don't like waking up at that time. But I just started praying and going, God, what do you want to do? What is this? Why do I feel a little weighty when somebody asks me, what's a story of hope in your life? 
So I was praying through it, and I just needed to preach some of these verses to my soul and say, I think just things going on in the news and walking really difficult roads with some friends going through disease and physical illness and death, I have not been preaching hope to my soul. And I felt so convicted. It was like a moment of repentance so early in the morning. And then I think God gave me this vision, and I'd like to take some time for all of us to do this. And just holding these seeds in my hand and thinking this is the end goal and holding on to them like I have any control or can turn them into anything. And God was saying, you've got to give them to me. We've got to bury these. And it might look like death. It might look like repentance. Maybe this is addiction or anxiety or worry or maybe even something good that you're clutching on to. But God's asking for it. Let's bury it together because I want to resurrect it to something so much better. And I think that's the beautiful thing. We are looking forward to that final resurrection where all are made new. But right now, God can't be contained to just that, even though that's huge. He wants to do this in our lives consistently, calls us back to him in repentance and surrender. And he wants to do a new thing all the time. So if you can just think of what those things are before we come to the table and what are these seeds? Ask the Spirit, what do you want me to bury so that you can resurrect it and make new life burst forward? And then in communion, when you're being given the cup, somebody's going to look at you and they're going to say, this is the body and this is the blood given for you. And it's kind of awkward sometimes, but hang out and let them look you in the eye and say this over you. Because this is what we're talking about. Jesus' death and resurrection. This is Jesus' body and his blood given for you. We can have hope in the resurrection because of what he's done. So I'm going to read this over you before we pray. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And Father, we come before you right now. We are thankful and we proclaim victory over death only because of you. We are so thankful that this is the truth that we're called to live in. Would you show us, God? Show us what we're holding on to that you want to bury and make new. Lord, we ask that you would do this, that you would make all things new and that we would not grow weary. Help us to stand firm in who you are because of the truth of your death and resurrection. Amen.